The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 360. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History. And, of course, you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I've got another course coming out this month, by the end of the month. So you're going to want to be on there. You're going to get the best deal, best coupon, and you'll get some emails from me about that. If you're on my email address, or email list, I should say, you'll get some emails from me there, too. So don't delete those. They're great. I put stuff in there that you're going to want to see. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com, click on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You get a book plate if you want my autograph of one of my books, and I've got a lot of those too. Plus, I've got a new book out, Southern Scribblings, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. I'm going to talk about at least a part of that book today, so you're going to want to get that book. It's a great book, and uh, it does also help support the show to get that. You can also go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom and a lot of great, other, uh, great instructors. So you're going to want to get that, too. It's a great educational website. And you can also click on that Shop tab at BrianMcClanahan.com where you can get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And don't forget to share this podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you like it so you can think locally and act locally. All right. Let's talk about the topic of the day, and it is something, this is a listener-generated episode. I was sent this particular link, came from a Fox News article, and it's about the 1619 Project, and I alluded to it yesterday when I said I'm going to talk about that this week at the podcast. Now, I already have an essay on this in Southern Scribbling, so if you want to get that essay, you can buy the book and pick that up. I'm not going to steal my own thunder with that. But I do want to talk about this keynote address that the journalist, in fact, that's how she is described, reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's described as a journalist or a reporter. She's not a historian. She is a pundit, essentially. And they created the 1619 Project to reorient the founding away from 1776 and say, no, no, the founding really was 1619. And um, she does, I want to go through some of the points that she makes here because I'm going to you know, offer commentary on some of the things she says. Now, it might surprise you what I'm going to say about some of this. But um, certainly I want to discuss this within context and how she's saying these things. Now, she's a particularly snarky individual on social media. She doesn't like criticism. She doesn't like people to point out problems of the project. Phil Magnus has spent a lot of time pointing out the deficiencies of the project, and she doesn't want to hear any of it. Most of the time, she just says, well, Phil Magnus is not an expert in this particular area. Well, as he points out, none of the other people writing the essays that are being criticized were experts in those areas either. I mean, this is, this is part of the problem with the project. 
Jones is very thin-skinned. And so if you criticize anything, well, she, uh, she bristles at that. And she tries to make fun of you on social media. She's also made some really stupid statements on social media. She's done some things that are highly questionable publicly uh, since this project came out, or said some things, I should say, that are highly questionable publicly since the project came out. Now, the whole idea of the project, again, is to reorient American history away from the founding. It's to move the central focus of American history away from the founding generation to minority groups. It's to place those minority groups, and it's not just African Americans, it's other minority groups, as the, at the center of the American experience. They are the true Americans. These founders were just all a bunch of bad guys. America is just a bad place, and if it wasn't for all of these minority groups, well, America would just be completely awful. She says, I'm going to read this particular piece, and I'm going to stop and comment on things that she says. Not what the author of the piece, Bradford Betts, is saying, but what she's saying. So the piece says, New York Times Magazine reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones on Monday denounced the idea of America being an exceptional nation and argued that the country's founders did not believe in democracy. Now, first and foremost, a couple of things here. We have a civic religion in America that's focused on two things. One, America's exceptional, and two, America's a democracy. Now, the left believes that, or at least to a point, maybe not the exceptional part, because they've They've criticized that. But they certainly believe in the civic religion of democracy. The neoconservatives believe in the American exceptionalism part and also the civic religion of democracy. So you see, they're both arguing over this. This is, this is doctrinaire, right? This is, this is dogma for this civic religion. Well, you say we're democracy, we're not. I say democracy, we are. Right? We're all a democracy. We all love democracy. Democracy, democracy. And, of course, that's one of the major problems with everything. And Jones doesn't see it because she can't understand what she's doing is actually detrimental to her position. Okay, But I'm going to get into that. Hannah Jones, who won the Pulitzer Prize for the 1619 Project, made the comments during a talk for a college's Common Read keynote event. Vice President for Equity and Inclusion and Chief Diversity Officer... Keisha Sanders McCurdy, I think that's how you, McMurdy, I'm sorry, McMurdy, Keisha Sanders McMurdy, I guess that's how you say her name, who interviewed Hannah Jones, said the 1619 Project is unfairly portrayed as being anti-American. Hannah Jones said that anyone who has criticized the project is anti-American has clearly not read the project. Now, I will say this, I actually agree with her that she's not being anti-American. Hannah Jones has never said anything that is anti-American. She's anti-certain parts of the Lincolnian nationalist American vision, which she buys into, by the way. You see, she buys into Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. She thinks that is the American tradition, Lincolnian nationalism, all at the same time, at the same time, criticizing Lincolnian nationalism. You see, this is all about which narrative is going to be the national narrative of America. It's not about real diversity as the founding generation understood it through federalism. That doesn't matter. It's about the national narrative of America. This is also in the news because the point the piece points out at the end, Trump has come out and said, look, if you're going to teach 1619, we're not giving you any federal dollars. Well, there is also a problem 
with American nationalism. Why? I mean, if, if some school district wants to teach 1619, well, fine, if that's what the people there want. Now, I could say that some of this is, is dangerous, and I think some of it is feeding the social unrest in America that's certainly taking place. And it's ludicrous to think that some of this stuff is not already being taught in schools. I mean, look, it is. You go to any major university in the United States, you're already getting, you've been getting 1619 Project before there was a 1619 Project. You go to most of your uh, public schools in America, and you're getting 1619 Project before you had 1619 Project. I point this out in the essay that I wrote in Southern Scribblings. I mean, this stuff is already being taught. And it's being taught more in usually, typically all white areas of America, if you want to just say this is a race issue, than it is in minority areas of America. I point that out. She also says this, continue the piece. Also, I don't think we're an exceptional nation. I think that's ludicrous for any nation to make that claim, and we certainly cannot make that claim, she added. We're a nation founded on genocide and chattel slavery and classism and gender discrimination. We're not. We had exceptional ideas, but we're not an exceptional nation. If you believe that, then your country can certainly withstand scrutiny. Now, let's talk about this idea of American exceptionalism, something that the neoconservative right hammers. We're exceptional. We're exceptional. Look at us. We're the, I mean, I've seen people go on Fox News and say we're the only country that uh, ended slavery the way, we, I mean, every other country had to end it. There was, there was actually a, an African-American, I can't remember who it was, went on Fox and said every other country ended these slavery through war. The United States uh, was the only one, though, that, that did this uh, and, uh, you know, cost all this blood or what. I can't remember exactly how it was put, but it was pointed out, you know, other countries didn't have to use war to end slavery. And he said, well, name one. Well, I mean, just about every other country that ended slavery didn't do it through war. I mean, this is how stupid these people are, these neoconservative pundits that get on Fox News, and they don't know what they're talking about. They really don't. And the, um, it's, it's pathetic. It's laughable. But the United States is certainly part of the Anglo-American tradition. Now, that Anglo... I mean, thank God we're part of the Anglo-American legal tradition and not something else, because that gave us the ability for someone like Nicole Handel-Jones to be able to say whatever she wants to say. Uh, I think that that's something that people take for granted. That is exceptional. There are parts of America, and it's commitment at least, even if it's just rhetorical commitment, for a long period of time to free speech, free thought, property, the things that allowed America to grow, those are exceptional things. Now, we could say that all that's part of the tradition of Western civilization, whether it's Greek or Roman. I mean, take your pick. I mean, the Greeks thought they were exceptional. The Romans thought they were exceptional. I think the United States is exceptional in many ways in, in embracing that Anglo-American political and, and uh, tradition, the economic tradition. It's allowed for the United States to be the most prosperous empire, if you're into that thing, in the history of the world. There's never been one that's more prosperous. And it is an empire. And it does have tremendous amounts of uh, at least, again, on the surface, personal freedom. Now, all of it's regulated now to a point that I mean, we're over-regulated. The United States was freer at one time. Now, she would make the case that it wasn't freer for everybody. It was just freer for 
uh, you know, certain people in society, white men, essentially. That lots of people were, you know, whether it was women, whether it was low-class people, you know, lower-class people, whether it was minority groups, they're all in bondage or genocide. When she makes that claim genocide, what she's talking about, of course, are the American Indian tribes. That wasn't all the English that did that. I mean, you had the French, the Spanish. This was part of a process of settling the continent. And yes, entire tribes were wiped out. And this is an unfortunate part of American history. But nobody, I think, uh, nobody's not teaching that, right? I mean, this is something that people know. That, yeah, okay, well, there was this terrible part of American history. One of the things that's, of course, fascinating about that is the neoconservatives bristle at this because they don't want to point fingers at their heroes like Sherman and Grant and Lincoln, (laughs) who did some of this stuff. When you look at the Western tribes and the Republican Party, who was certainly responsible for these things. So this is something that, I mean, she's making people uncomfortable by saying that. You can't say these things. That makes people uncomfortable. Was the United States founded on chattel slavery? Well, certainly every colony in the United States had slavery. Uh, And when the United States seceded from the British Empire in 1775-1776, when the war began in 1775 and the separate states began the process of independence in 76, every state had slavery. Uh, Was it founded on that, though? No. I mean, look... Uh, certainly that became part of the labor experience of the United States for groups of people. We know that there were uh, indentured servants early on. I mean, these people were already here, but that was, a, that was not something that America was founded on. We're not founded on chattel slavery. We're not founded on genocide. There was an attempt in the founding generation to treat the Indian tribes fairly. It just didn't always work. We're not founded on that. We're not founded on classism. That's a Marxist term. So she's buying into that. We're not founded on gender discrimination. This was accepted around the world. If you go around the world in 1619 or 1776, in 1776, were there any European powers that had universal suffrage? Any. Can you find one? Were there any powers in the world that had universal suffrage? I I mean, I think the answer is going to be none. So is the United States founded on this, or was it simply a reflection of of the society of the time? Slavery was, in 1776, accepted in virtually every corner of the world. It was still accepted in the British Empire. It was still accepted in the French Empire. You still had slavery in... Africa, you still had slavery in Asia, you still had slavery in the Americas, South America, Central America, you still had slavery there, you still had slavery in the Spanish Empire, you still had slavery everywhere. So where was the United States any different from anywhere else? This might be making her point that, you know, America is not exceptional that way. But certainly the point of independence Self-determination was an exceptional idea in 1776. Self-determination was an exceptional idea at that particular point with the creation of nation-states. Now, we could say that when you look back at Greek colonization, for example, Syracuse was a colony 
of one of the major Greek city-states, and it had its independence, because this is what colonies generally did. That was an idea. When you have a colony, you eventually get your independence. This is the way it worked. Once you get to the kingdoms of Europe, and then, of course, the nation-states that were created out of that into the 18th and 19th centuries, well, then that becomes a little different situation. So, But the idea that people have self-determination, that was an exceptional idea. But nobody was thinking about extending the suffrage out to women or minority groups anywhere, anywhere at that particular time. Or people that uh, did not have property. I mean, these were ideas that came later. Even the Greeks thought these things. So certainly America and the Greeks were much more restrictive on who could vote with universal democracy, so to speak, or direct democracy, much more restrictive than the United States was. Okay, so this is a this is a faulty argument. It's a it's a straw man fallacy that she's using here, which is why it's problematic. But certainly when she says if your country is exceptional, you can withstand scrutiny. I mean, there's no one saying this. But when you're trying to reorient the focus of the founding, you're trying to change the entire narrative of American history. Well, people are going to question that. Wait a second here. So the country is not, it certainly had part of these things. There certainly was a genocidal tendency among the Republican Party in the West as it settled the West. There certainly was a genocidal tendency among the early conquistadors, who, by the way, were Spanish and not English. There certainly was unfair treatment of tribes at the time, at times in American history. There's no doubt about these things. These things are there, but everybody knows this stuff. Everyone knows slavery existed in America, but it wasn't, it wasn't unique. To America. And Americans certainly did have large blocks of anti-slavery activists, whether they were North or South, first in the South, then in the North. In fact, the earliest pro-slavery advocates were in the North, not the South. So, I mean, this is, this is a whole lot of complexity here that this journalist gets wrong. Now, she does make the claim, and one of the things that people have really gotten upset about is that the American War for Independence was about slavery. Well, this is what the British said. I mean, they, in New York and Virginia, they made it about that when they issued emancipation proclamations, essentially, in both, both colonies or states at that point, New York and Virginia. Depends on if you're British or American, what you're saying, if they're a colony or a state. But certainly, I mean, that was the case the British were making. This is all about slavery. They're just trying to keep their slaves. I mean, these, these people that wrote these essays are not saying anything that hasn't been said before. Now, we can say that's not true. But if you take the British position, well, and it might be true. We know that Washington was highly upset at the end of the American War for Independence when the British refused to send New York slaves back to New York. They'd send them to Canada. Washington was upset about it because the people of New York wanted their slaves back. Of New York. This is not Virginia or South Carolina. This is New York, right? But everyone was classist in the 18th century. Everyone was... Gen believed in gender discrimination in the 18th century. Find me many people that didn't. Of course, there were some female activists over in, in various pockets, you know, that were arguing against these things. But generally, they went nowhere. They went nowhere. You didn't really start seeing a large amount of feminist literature, what we would call feminist literature, until the late 18th century. You, of course, had it beforehand with people like Elizabeth Montague in England. Uh, but, you know, when you look at Mary Wollstonecraft, for example, or some of these others that were really pushing this kind of 
literature by the end of the 18th century. And then it really ramped up in the 19th century. But it wasn't founded on these things. That's an on, that's, that is an inaccurate statement when you say founded on. You can say existed within these, this framework, the beliefs of the time. That would be a better statement to make. Certainly that's true. She also says this, Hannah Jones then characterized the way history is taught in American schools as a nationalist agenda. I agree with her. The Lincolnian nationalist agenda is taught in schools. Lincoln's a great guy. Lincoln's a demigod. Lincoln did everything right. There's nothing that Lincoln did was wrong. That was wrong. The left and the right believe this. This is, Lincoln has become the symbol of America. At first, it was George Washington. But now we have to tear down George Washington because he was a slave owner. Because he was from Virginia. We can't like George Washington anymore. So now we turn the focus on Lincoln. But how long is it going to take for these people to realize that Lincoln made some pretty, ra pretty racist statements that he didn't really believe in ending slavery, that he certainly was interested in colonization. And in fact, Nicole Hannah-Jones points this out, or they do in the 1619 Project. They use Phil Magnus's work to point this out. And so they take down, they're trying to take down the Lincoln myth as well. I agree with them on this. We do have a Lincolnian nationalist agenda, but what she's trying to do is use that framework to teach an entirely different nationalist agenda. It's a nationalist agenda. Anyone thinks it's not, it's not really about diversity. It's about a secular religion of democratic socialist nationalism with minority groups as the central players in American history. This is the agenda of the 1619 Project. It's not about real diversity. It's about saying, yeah, okay, well, I mean, what did people contribute? I think any historian worth his salt or her salt is going to look at culture. They're going to look at what did people contribute to culture? What did people contribute in terms of labor? I mean, we do have great, we need to have great men history. Great men are important because great men throughout history was mostly men that did things in terms of making decisions and uh, leading governments. Well, those things matter, right? It's not saying that some of these other things don't matter, but the great men matter. And what we're trying to do is erase the great men and replace them with whatever else you want to replace them with because of our current present views on race and slavery and other things in America. That's presentism. It's a highly problematic position to take. She says, it's not about truth. It's about giving us a shared sense of American exceptionalism and American identity. And because of that, you had to downplay genocide. You had to downplay what happened with chattel slavery. You had to downplay what happened to most marginalized groups. That's not true. It's not true at all. In fact, I would say that I've never, I've never been to one history class in my entire life where people didn't bring up the fact that there was mistreatment of American Indian tribes, that there was mistreatment of slaves at times, that slavery, I've never heard one person ever say slavery was a good thing. There was always an attempt to take figures that of marginalized groups, as she calls them, and elevate those people and make them appear very important for whatever reason. There was always an attempt, since I've been in school, to do these things. This has been going on for a very long time. I point this out in my essay on the 1619 Project. And then she says, in response to whether true democracy in the U.S. will ever be realized, Hannah Jones said, the U.S. did not believe in democracy at its founding and called the American Revolution the revolution of the elite. Well, this is actually true. The United States did not believe in democracy. 
that did not believe in pure democracy, but true democracy. But this is, this is the secular religion of America. Democracy is, is like worshiping God for many of these people. What does it even mean? What is, I don't even know if these people really know what that means or, or what it would portend for America. What does that actually mean? What's interesting is when you read, for example, uh, Booker T. Washington, who talked about democracy, and he said, you know, maybe we shouldn't give democracy to everybody at some point because they have to earn it, because you have to have a stake in society. Now, the secular religious de Democrats would say, everyone's got a stake in society because they live here. But is it fair to take, if you have 101 people, to take 51 people and say that oh, the other 50 people, we get to take all of your stuff? Is that fair? Is that just? It's not just. This is what essentially democracy allows to happen. It's a dangerous institution, and the founding generation pointed this out. They thought you needed checks on democracy, which is a good thing. No one, no one, even the great Greek thinkers who had played with democracy, thought that democracy on any large scale was very good at all because it led to all kinds of corruption and everything else. It led to massive problems. But to the secular religious sect of America, the true democracy crowd, the Senate's evil, the Electoral College is evil, Having any restrictions on people voting. I mean, why don't we just have two-year-olds voting? Having any restrictions on anybody voting is evil. These things are all evil. Well, then, yeah, the United States is always going to be evil. But the, United, the founders did not believe in democracy. In fact, the Constitution was written in part to check democracy because they thought there was too much of it after the American War for Independence. Was it the war, the revolution of the elite? Um, certainly not. I mean, look, the leaders of it were more conservative than what people realize, but you had a lot of people fighting in that war who were not the elite in society and who supported independence, who weren't the elite. Again, it's a little bit of a misstatement. You have to be careful with rhetoric and what she's saying here. Hannah Jones' keynote appearance came just one day after President Trump said that the Department of Education is examining the use of the New York Times Magazine's 1619 Project in Schools, warning that institutions that teach this version of American history could lose federal funding. I don't think that's going to happen, but of course, he's looking at it. Jones also said it was a fairy tale that the demographic, demographic destiny of our country will turn us into a more interracial democracy, and that when white people start to lose an American majority, they always found ways to hold on to power. So you see, she's actually pointing out what the entire project is. It is about race. It's about, again, taking marginalized groups and making them the primary groups in America and taking the dominant great men narrative of American history and marginalizing that and saying this thing, none of that really mattered. It only mattered who was building stuff. It didn't matter who designed it. It didn't matter who had the capital to do it. It didn't matter. None of that stuff mattered. It didn't matter who wrote these documents. It didn't matter who participated in all these early things. It didn't matter who did most of the fighting early on. None of that mattered. All that matters is that you had marginalized groups there, and those groups were being abused. And so uh, we need to put those groups first and foremost and knock down the other side. See, that's really what matters with the 1619 Project and why people bristle at it. But she makes points that are valid points, at least in some ways and that I think need to be discussed. The part about nationalist agenda, yes. I mean, that is a valid point. We've been learning Lincolnian nationalism since the end of the war. Since the end of the war in 1865, that's we got. And it only ramped up 
in greater detail after World War II. World War II changed everything for a time in America. That 20-year period in particular, right after the war, from about 45 to 65, you saw a different kind of America. It started fading away even 10 years after the war, but I mean, you, start, you really had a different kind of America. There was a unity in America like you hadn't had before. Part of that was because there was less immigration at that point than in almost any point in American history during the 1930s and 40s. Hardly any immigrants came into the United States. And you had a nationalist uh, agenda being pushed because of the war itself. So that boomer generation, of course, their parents really bought into this, uh, to this American exceptionalist, American nationalist period. And now that started to fade away beginning in the 60s. Critical race theory and, of course, uh, you know, all the stuff that was developed around that. The Marxist takeover of many higher education institutions in America. I mean, all this began happening after World War II. So uh, I would say that, you know, I think that you need to take this project seriously because it is going to be something that people mention a lot. We can criticize it. We can say these things are right, these things are wrong. The language matters founded on is not a proper term to use. First of all, we're not a nation at all. We never have been. Uh, the United States has always been a federal republic. This is where she's losing all this stuff. You want real diversity in America? Go back to decentralization. You want that? But that's not what the 1619 Project wants to do. It wants to, it wants to use the nationalist framework that was built at the end of the American, uh, uh, the, the, uh, American Civil War or the War for Southern Independence. You want to take that, and then you want to create an entirely new narrative. It's already been done. It's already being done. This is just a lot of hot air in many ways. But of course, it's fueling some of the social unrest that's happening in America, as I said before. All right, so that's my position on this 1619 project and, of course, this interview. Uh, you know, I think it's valuable to, uh, to look at these things. But it, she should also, if she says that it's, if we're exceptional, we should be able to take criticism, she should be able to take that too. And when her project has problems and people point these things out, she should be able to take that in an intellectual way. All right. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.